welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today we have returning with us clinical psychologist Donald Cohen. Donald, welcome. And Donald is a clinical psychologist in Connecticut. I did get that right this time, right, Donald? You got it right there. He's he's been in private practice for 41 years. Um, We're good friends. We have wives that are good friends. So I guess that means the four of us are good friends. But we have a good time. We uh, had experience back in Tulum, Mexico, where the four of us hung out at a wedding of one of our best friends. We just laughed for about a week. And really, it was a remarkable experience for all of us. My wife's knee pain disappeared. Donald and I talked about life at Infinite, and we just talked and talked and talked, had a great time. But I wanted to get Donald's perspective. We talked about anxiety and aging a few minutes ago. But one thing we found out with the chronic pain process is that the family dynamics are actually critical because people in chronic pain are angry and frustrated, and they tend to take it out on their families, which isn't fair to the family. But also, as a family gets upset, it actually triggers a person in pain to have more pain. The last couple of years, we found out somewhat inadvertently that we can do all these different treatments, sleep, stress, exercise, et cetera. But when people go home and get triggered by their family, everything goes out the window. And so we found out that the family dynamics can be very powerful keeping people in pain, but also equally as powerful pulling people out of pain. We've had a great time with this. Anyway, I'd like to welcome Donald to the show. Welcome, Donald, and thanks for being with us again. Always a pleasure to talk to you, David. So, Donald, you know, the family stuff is actually not in my book because we just discovered it somewhat inadvertently over the last couple of years. And we started to find out that people go home and get triggered. There's a research experiment that shows that they put monitors on 105, 105 couples, and they found out that if a person in pain started complaining about their pain, they would get a predictably hostile reaction from their partner, and then the pain would go up. What was fascinating is that the person in pain would still keep complaining. So it ended up being this endless cosmic ping pong game of somebody in pain complaining, hostile response, complaining, hostile response, increased pain. That was my first clue that the family issues might be an issue. And I'm just, and then we also found out that, you know, people are angry when they're in pain because they're trapped. And when you're trapped and angry and frustrated, you're lashing out and often family is the biggest target. And what's disturbing to me, and I'm not above this either, I'm not trying to be, sound like a lecturer here, is that we tend, to la- we tend to lash out at people that we really care about, and you would probably not lash out at the checker at the grocery store the same way you lashed out at your family. And you certainly would not lash out at your spouse the same way you would on the first date. So I'm just curious just your perspective on family dynamics in general. You do a lot of family therapy, correct? A lot of therapy, yes, I do a lot. And I'm just curious, I don't, you know, I don't do family therapy. We are solution is sort of a structural thing. Like for instance, one of the rules we have that's made a huge impact is that your brain is going to develop where it replaces attention. One of the rules we have for every patient every time is that when you walk out of the door of my office, you will never discuss your pain ever again to anybody. Ever, especially your family. The second thing is no complaining, especially to your family. The third thing is no advice, especially to your family. And, that, and of course, that includes criticizing also. 
So people look at me, they, they think I'm out of my mind, but what happens when two, within two to four weeks, just using somewhat arbitrary rules, just a dramatic change in family dynamics, and as powerful as the family is keeping people in pain, we've never seen more rapid recoveries when the, than when the whole family is engaged in the process. So I'm just curious from your perspective from a family therapist, some of the things that you see as far as anger in the family. Uh, I think a lot of what you're saying is I think people um, get impatient when they see people that they care about unhappy. Sometimes it's because they feel protective and they don't want to see the person that they're closest to being unhappy. But I think that uh, a lot of people feel uh, that being vulnerable is not safe and communicating what they're feeling is not safe because in some way it's going to get put down, judged, or the other person is going to in some way not be empathetic and allow that person to process whatever else it is they're feeling. So my job is to encourage people to acknowledge one's feelings when they express them, to be empathetic, respectful, uh, communicate um, in an open, safe way, uh, to allow people to basically uh, feel whatever makes them vulnerable or whatever hurting them or making them angry and trying not to take it personally and trying to understand that whatever that person is going through needs, they need to be, they need to listen, not feel defensive. And uh, that's what I think. Uh, no, I, in, in a short version. That, that's a short version. I think of your question, the answer to your question. Am I right? Yeah. Well, I mean, here, you know, absolutely. But so my question is, so, of course, my practice is mostly chronic pain. Um, obviously, in the middle of this whole thing, I am a spine surgeon. But with the family dynamics is that, have you seen, again, I know you're not in a chronic pain practice. Have you seen chronic pain come into the family dynamics or identified it as such? Or has that become an issue that you see frequently or not so much? Well, again, if you go back to our first interview that we had, you know, but aging and anxiety, you know, I believe so much is psychosomatic. I believe in the mind body connection. So if there's stress and anger in the feeling in the family, then the feelings are going to, it's going to be somaticized. So often if you see chronic pain and, you know, in a family member, you certainly want to explore what's going on in the family system. Uh, and I would say that sometimes, as I said, in our last interview, uh, Stress and anxiety can be created by a disconnection or a dysfunction in a family system, so that of course it can create uh, chronic pain. Right. Have you seen Have you seen it the other way around, where chronic pain comes in and really disrupts the family? Have you Have you seen much of that, or, or not? Oh yeah, yeah. Of course it does because it, it creates stress. Now, would you consider the category of cancer uh, an example of chronic pain? Well, it's interesting because they've done research showing that the impact of chronic pain has the same effect on a person's quality of life as terminal cancer. And right. so it's a different chronic pain, obviously, but you talk about the, you know, the fear of death, of course, cancer brings that right home and brings a tremendous negative energy into the household. And then in this day and age, we're seeing, I don't know if you've seen a rise in this, but we're seeing horrible family stresses. You know, lots of kids committing suicide, spouses committing suicide, lots of opioid abuse issues. It seems like families are under more stress now than they were 10 years ago. 
Have you seen that, or, or is that just something I'm happening to notice more? Oh no, that's definitely that's definitely true. But then I think that we might be jumping ahead. I, I think. That, let me answer the first part first. Is that the reason why I brought the cancer piece? Is that when somebody is suffering any kind of chronic illness in a family system, let's just use cancer as the example because I've worked a lot with families with cancer. Okay, that's probably what I've had the most experience with. Okay. Uh, what we tend to forget is that a family is a personality onto itself. It is an entity. Okay. So if one, if one person in the family has cancer, in my opinion, the whole family has cancer. Okay. And that's that's a systems theory formulation. There's a there's a whole systems theory on that you know one one piece of a system affects every other part of the system basically. Okay. So whether it's a chronic illness of can you know if you don't want to say cancer. If somebody is, 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 is carrying that kind of, any kind of chronic pain, terminal or not terminal, or if they're even feeling suicidal for that matter, everybody is feeling that and everybody's got the anxiety around it. So you can't be just treating one part of the system. That's why I'm a big family systems person. It really, at that point, you're treating the whole family. And, the, and, the, and what you want to encourage is for everybody in that family to talk about how that chronic pain illness, whatever you want to call it, is affecting everybody. And you, that is what people have, don't do. Do you bring the family and members in individually, or do you bring them all at the same time, or what are some of the ways you do that? Well, that's another interesting question. So this is another interesting thing. People are incredibly ignorant about what family therapy is. Family therapy is not always everybody coming in together at the same time. Okay. Uh, it's sometimes family therapy is everybody in the family coming in at the same time, but sometimes in a system that's you know complex with many layers, sometimes you might have siblings come in or you might have one parent in with one child. Uh, so it depends on what piece of the family you're working with. And if one part of the family is getting stuck, you may want to just work with that part of the family first to take the contagion away from how it's, that, that is poisoning the rest of the family. So again, very strategic depending on where the energy is being transferred into the into the family that's creating what i would say is chronic pain in the whole family system okay now that's a very interesting point about pain in the family being the whole family really it's what i i look at a family like for instance if somebody sometimes you you see with couples too you get a family in here and you would just basically i could diagnose the family is depressed Okay. The way I would say a person out, the way I would say an individual person is depressed. I could say the family is suffering from depression, chronic anxiety. Uh, it, 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 it's yeah, it's one personality. Okay. And then do you at some point get the whole family in, or do you sometimes bring one person in at a, at a time and just deal with it individually? Oh, I think you know, I it's an, it's a, it depends on the situation, but it's a, a number of things. Ultimately, I love getting the whole family in. I've even brought, I've even done multi generational family stuff as well. I've had more than one generation in my room. Again, going back to the chronic pain part of it, is it usually one person in the family that sort of starts the ball rolling, or does it tend to be a whole family unit that becomes ill at the same time? That's a tough question because I don't think you can generalize about something like that. But the chances are, but I would not draw an absolute to this that if one person is feeling uh, the pain, it's possible that by imitation, by transference, or by psychic energy, however you want to look at it, it, get, it could get transferable now. Uh, lice would be a bad example. My family just, my grandkids brought lice to our house, okay? So 
certain things are contagious literally just by, you know, something like lice, which was a disaster, by the way, in this house. Uh, right. That's how I started my vacation with my children. But 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 no, I mean, other, you know, things that, such as uh, anxiety, um, where somebody is feeling um, some kind of bodily pain. Uh, it's possible that, you know, that you, I, I, I've never really thought about that in terms of on a research level or a statistical level. I don't know what you have found. I could see where there's always a group contagion. So why wouldn't that be possible as well? Right. Yeah, it's, it's tricky because, I mean, honestly, it's fascinating with the work we do individually that when we locked into this family stuff about two and a half years ago, and so I look at the family dynamics and look at the triggers, it was just fascinating how reactive families were. You couldn't, we were seeing a select group of people that, are, that are, were already in pain. But I've also said this many years ago before I knew much about family issues is that I say, look, you talk about the person being angry. Say, okay, you have Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease, and that's bad. Mm-hmm. But think about a day where you're just angry. Forget about the disease. Forget about the chronic pain. Just think about a day where you're just really angry. What kind of a day is that? And, of course, it's not very good. Then you add on the disease or the pain and the anger, life is actually almost intolerable. And the point being, I realize that when you're tracked by a disease, there's going to be lots of anxiety and frustration around it. But if you add on that layer of anger on top of it, why life becomes absolutely intolerable. That's why I would say, look, you can, because we have lots of people that are very disabled for, for physical reasons that live an incredibly high quality of life because they're happy in spite of the disability. And so they either find by their disability or the disease or they're not. They either separate themselves or not. They either take it out on their family or they don't. So if they take it out on their family, of course, their family takes them down. They, they all take each other down. If they can rise above their disease and keep that positive outlook and buoyancy, that becomes contagious. It actually lifts the whole family. Yes. And oh, I, yeah, you see that. You, you see that? Yeah. Well, yeah, you see it in movies, you see it in person, you see it uh, all over that if a, if, a, if a person who's suffering, whether it's Parkinson's or has a healthy attitude towards their uh, their mortal reality, their mortal existence, that that's incredibly inspiring uh, to those people that are around them because what they carry, which is the most important element in this whole discussion and probably should have been brought up in our last interview, is the element of self-love and love. Okay. And if you have if you have a spiritual attitude of positiveness and a sense of uh, acceptance of yourself and love of yourself, then you can love others. And people are really who are not on that level get inspired by that. But right. people who are not like that, people who are not like that, can make the others feel very helpless and very frustrated. Right. And so the attitude, so the attitude of, of of the person that's carrying the actual literal chronic illness uh, has a tremendous effect in terms of the energy of the rest of the people around them. Right. Well, what happens? And humor, once again, humor is important. To, and humor is also important. I've I've been struck by people can have the worst things going on with them, they can still have a sense of humor. Right. I mean, I have a friend of mine who I won't mention on the radio here, but. She's got a horrible spine, very disabled, and the most buoyant, joyous person you've ever met. And guess what? Her family hmm. reflects that. But also, what does her family? What does the family do with that? 
Well, I mean, her husband is supportive, but she is so buoyant in the face of very severe physical disabilities. And she's yeah. 30 years and she just cruises. She just trucks right on through it. Doesn't phase her at all. Mm-hmm. Their problem that happens when someone is disabled, either with chronic pain or disease, is they feel very entitled. And I, I get it. They, they sort of are justifiably entitled. But the family can often become slaves to that. And it really, really yeah, that, yeah, right. That's a very good point, by the way. I, I'm, I'm not big on a name. So, in the case of a person that's weighing in positive, you're saying that has a positive effect on the family, right? Correct. But on the negative side, the, it can be, it, really yeah. Good. The negative side is what, Dave? I didn't hear that. Well, the, the negative side, I mean, I think this happens more frequently if somebody's disabled and they're frustrated. Right. The family becomes right. a target, and they, but they take the whole family down with them. My, so that's a. I, I don't take it. I'm really. I'm. I would not be a good psychologist because, as you know, my wife thinks I don't listen, and I don't. But as a surgeon, I'm, I'm a surgeon psychologist. I just say, look, stop mm-hmm. it, because I'm going. You're yeah. the household. Okay, so you decide what you want. What kind of household do you want to live in? Okay, I know you have a bad. Mm-hmm. You've got multiple sclerosis, but you are the head of the household. If you're not yeah. the household going, who is? And okay, so yeah. Okay, you are my. Well, go ahead, finish. No, go ahead, finish, and then I'll finish. Go ahead. No, I mean I'm serious. So I'm really clear that if you aren't the person to rate, bring your household out of this hole of disability, that right? That who's going to do it? Okay, so this you brought up, and that's another good thing to bring up. So I'm not big on enabling people, even when they're in the worst of conditions. Okay. Now delivery is important. I'm not sure your delivery is. I don't think I would use your delivery. Um, my, my, I don't think I use you. I think my delivery, my delivery would be uh, any, not the person who's bringing the family down, who's feeling victimized and taking it out on the family. Uh, my, my delivery would be, Hey, look, I know you're really having a hard time. I can't get into your body to know exactly what you're feeling because that would be insulting to think that I could. But you need to know, you need to know, and I've done this, this is what I do when I work with families. I do this in groups too. I think it's very important for that person to get feedback from everybody in the room about how they are being affected by this. Absolutely. So that person person gets some awareness about what they're doing and how, because they get so self-centered and so victimized in their own universe. They're not thinking, and this is what people do all the time anyway, they're not thinking about how they affect others. So that feedback system, that feedback system to that person who's doing that uh, is, 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 is a kinder way of not enabling that behavior. Right. No, I agree. Now, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't, by the way, if that doesn't work, then I might get a little bit tougher. Right. About it. And I, yeah, and I actually am about that blind. I mean, I do have a nurse and psychologist I work with who sort of salvaged me, but there's no shortcuts here. I mean, really, honestly, if you're in the victim role and you take it out on your family, everybody's screwed. Everybody's going down to That's right. And my question, my, right. and my question to, first, I had this one guy, this massively 280 pound muscular guy, and mm-hmm. his tenure, you know, he's telling me, I asked him, well, do you ever take this out on your family? And he finally admitted that yes, he does. And he takes it out, takes it out on his son. I go, well, how old's your son? And he goes, 10. And I honestly just lost it. I said, look, who's the adult here? Your son's 10 years old. Your goal is to help him feel safe and nurtured. And your teen right. up 10-year-old son, who's the adult here? Right? Right. Right. 
So I, 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 I feel like I'm like an icebreaker in the Antarctica. I mean, I realize that there's that my approach maybe just barely starts a process, if at all, or people get so pissed off and never come back. But honestly, it feels a bit aggressive. It's a little aggressive. It's aggressive. I agree. But the, the reality is, and I do get fired up about this. I mean, my, my mother's, as you know, was in chronic pain and she was very abusive to her family. And so I tend to get probably overly reactive to those scenarios. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, is that again, you don't, none of us have the right to take out our anger on anybody, but especially family who we really like. I mean, the last people you should ever take your anger out on would be your family, right? Yeah. Why do you think? Yeah. All right. So this is, this is from maybe on the top 10 of the most important things that we've discussed over the last couple of weeks. Okay. The key, the key element here, you got to remember this is that people have trouble feeling safe and they're not safe, they're not gonna feel comfortable being vulnerable. Right. So the key is the key is really to get that person to talk about what's going on inside of them. We're back to that same theme right. about getting them, if you talk at them rather than to them and with them, right. they're gonna get defensive and belligerent and react back. Reactivity creates reactivity. Right. So I would say, uh, my father used to say, tactlessness, tactlessness often masquerades as honesty. I would say the tactless thing to do, which goes into the category of being empathetic, right. is to say like, hey, Johnny, hey, Johnny, you know, you know, when you do that, that doesn't make your son Larry feel really good. But I appreciate this is really hard for you. So why don't you try to tell your son what it feels like to, to have what you have right now and talk to him so you can help him understand what it feels like to feel so helpless or whatever else you're feeling inside yourself and with your with your with your chronic pain and be and and I, I would go with the, I always go for the vulnerability, the vulnerability card. Right. No, I agree. So I think approach. So I that, yeah. I mean, you know, you just, when, when somebody's acting out, they're acting out because they're unhappy and they can't have accountability and responsibility for their, for what it's, how it's making them feel. Right. Right. No, I agree. No, I think, so, that's, I think that's a wonderful approach. I mean, I, I agree with the approach. I, I just, um, again, I, I, even though I end up, I actually never actually delve into the psychological realm because again, I am a surgeon and my, my whole idea is actually just sort of guide the ship forward. And right. people, and again, I'm not quite as harsh as I sound, but the reality is, is that there's no shortcuts and you either like your family or you don't. And if you like your family, then treat them nicely. But maybe that person can't. That that's what I'm saying. That maybe that person is just not in a place to be able to do that no, I because agree. they're so and they're so wounded and hurt. I mean, right. from a logical place, from a logical place, that's correct. But from an irrational feeling place, when somebody is in that kind of place, right. they they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. Now that's not an excuse. Your job as a healer is to make them uh, take some responsibility for their behavior. But the only way the person really is going to take responsibility for their behavior is them to feel that you're really interested in hearing how miserable they are. Right. And no, having I, that, mis- and, and having that acknowledged. Yeah. And I do agree with that. I mean, I do honor their suffering in a big way. Again, I, we, we talked about this before. It's been shown that the impact of chronic pain is equivalent to terminal cancer on a person's life and their family lifestyle. It's a big deal. So, the, and of course, the medical profession, patients get labeled because they quote can't find anything wrong. And I'm going, that's nonsense. Of course, it's something. But they can't. What they? I didn't hear that they can't. Well, what? I mean, they call it medically unexplained symptoms, or the doctors can't find anything. 
And that's mm -hmm. absolutely fun because your body chemistry is way off. Your nervous system is mm -hmm. fired up. You're going to feel the pain. You're going to feel the anxiety, mm -hmm. the frustration. So something's very wrong. It's a neurochemical problem. It's not a bone spur. And so that's actually why I quit my practice was because there's so much surgery being done on stressed mm -hmm. nervous system and it just makes it right. worse. But I, I, I do want to honor the point you made, which I think is the most important point in the whole process. And I do get this, is that when you're in chronic pain and you're reactive, you have lost awareness. And awareness is the essence of relationships. And they can't, you can't get there often without the help. And I agree with you. They're totally trapped. Well, Anger is part of the disease. Yeah. blocks the treatment. Well, not only that, but it's, what creates anger, which you have to realize is, it, it's a projection of really what's going on with somebody who's really frustrated and feeling helpless is they're, 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 they're in self-hatred. They're in self-hatred. Right. And when I talked about before, it was Eric Fromm, a guy named Eric Fromm. Right. It was a book that got me into psychology called the art of loving. It was funny. I was a freshman in college and it's amazing. I look back on this very simple concept that I said, wow, this is a whole revelation to me. If you love yourself, you can love others. Right. So, so somebody who's feeling anger, and lashing out is because they feel so uh, imperfect and such self-hatred and because they're so, I mean, I, I, I feel, I feel miserable when I'm in that place. And it's like, I don't, it's very hard to find a, a place where you can feel self-love and then therefore be loving to other people. I find the best thing again is if somebody gives me the room to talk about how miserable I am and how much it makes me feel bad. And what I'm going through on a feeling level, that, 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 that doesn't mean I'm encouraging somebody to sit there and feel sorry for themselves. But in a sense, you know what? It's pretty just if somebody says to me, I feel like shit, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to let you feel like shit because it does. It is. It is. You are feeling like shit because who wouldn't feel like shit if you right. have if you're, if you're suffering in your body, you're a prisoner to your body. Absolutely. No, I 100 percent agree I mean, with that. How can you minimize that? Yes, you know, it's really, you, what the best thing to say to somebody when somebody's really sick is to mirror it and say, yeah, that must really feel like shit. Right. Now, it's Not a, even it must feel like shit, that feels like shit. Yeah, and as you know, I was in chronic pain myself for 15 years, and now you had no hope, no end point. And one of the hardest problems being in chronic pain is that where's the end point? If nobody's giving you a solution and you're miserable every day without any end in sight, that's pretty wow. disappointing. People are very, very trapped. Well, Don, I really- Terrible. So, Donald, I realize this is going to be the first of many conversations going forward. You touched on some issues in the family I thought were incredibly important, and I want to talk about those more on a future podcast, but I really appreciate your time. This is a wonderful conversation, and I, I think that this audience will really enjoy um, hearing your insight. Thanks, David. Can I say one more thing to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when somebody's feeling trapped, just go back to Viktor Frankl when he was in a concert, when he was in, was when he talked about being in prison. Right. It was a concentration camp. I get confused with Viktor Frankl, but when you're entrapped, it's an existential moment with yourself. One has to, you know, really be able to experience that feeling with that person who's feeling trapped and really explore what does it feel like to be trapped? Where are you? Even right. if you have to use imagery, even if you have to use imagery, uh, some kind of behavioral imagery, because being trapped is, is, is existentially a sense of nothingness and complete meaninglessness, right. which is what Viktor Frankl wrote about in his book. Are you familiar with his book about prisons? Was it prisons? Or I forgot. It was in Auschwitz. Uh, in a concentration. No, I've heard his book. So for the audience, by Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meeting. 
meaning right. he's an Austrian psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz and is a harrowing right. tale. He describes the horrible physical deprivations and insults. But what was right. poignant about this process was that he said the worst part of the whole ordeal was not knowing when it was going to end. They just didn't know. That actually drove right. me berserk. And it blew me away. I mean, how can that be worse? Of course, in chronic pain, you don't know where the end point is. And people, same thing. That's the same right. thing, really. Yeah, it's really frustrating. So, yeah, no, I think the suffering in chronic pain is extreme. And I think people get incredibly frustrated. And, I, and again, that's why I actually quit my practice, because the answers are actually right there. I mean, neuroscience has actually told us how to solve this. And right now, we're treating symptoms, not really going to the root cause. But yeah, chronic pain is incredibly solvable. And some issues, some of the issues we talked today, you know, with the family issues, et cetera, were very part of the deal. The thing about Viktor Frankl in the middle of this concentration camp, he actually found meaning in life. What is life asking them? Yeah. It's incredible. Right. Meaningful. He found meaningfulness, right? Yep. In, in the middle of a concentration camp. It, 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 I mean, the book sold some like 50 million copies. I mean, it's an incredible yeah, There's book. a reason for that. Yeah, right. because it's really about finding, so there you go, this is a great way to end. It's about finding meaningfulness. Yep. Absolutely. And purpose. Yep. So how else, but you can't find meaningfulness or purposefulness and unless you do, like Viktor Frankl's book is so poignant because he was forced into a situation that was similar to what we're talking about tonight. Right. And, or the Birdman of Alcatraz, what did he do, right? Remember the Birdman right. of Alcatraz. Right. Absolutely. So that's a good place. We could, we could talk about this at another time. Yep. Well, Donald, thank you again very much and uh, enjoy your tennis game. I'm glad you get some sleep and uh, let's see how it goes. So let, let us know. Good to talk to you. Well, Donald and David, I want to thank you again for a really stimulating dialogue about family issues and chronic pain. I'm sure our listeners find it you know, fascinating. And I want to remind everybody to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.